Small businesses are the backbone of America, and they help keep the spirit of Texas alive. But did you know as many as 50% will close their doors forever after just five years? Well, we're here to change that. This is The Beef. We know how tough it is to be an entrepreneur today. We're giving small business owners a platform to share their story. You'll hear it all. The highs and the lows. The good and the bad. But most importantly, you'll learn. Welcome to The Beef. The Beef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of The Beef Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer on Instagram. And I'm telling you right now, if you've not followed us on Instagram, at Beefy Marketing, at John the Marketer, at John the Video, there's some really funny posts that are starting to drip out now. Yours truly doing some things that I never thought would be caught on camera and posted for you to see. So you're missing out if you're not checking us out. Make sure you follow us. Make sure you subscribe to all the posts that we're pushing out. And then get on there and comment. Make fun of you know my dance moves. Make fun of uh, my golf swing. Whatever you want to do, man. If you haven't checked out the videos, you're definitely missing out. But it's another week and another episode of the Beef Podcast. And joining me in the studio today, I have a really cool guest for y'all to get to know, Justin Bellamy with TAC11. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, John. Uh, cool is probably subjective, brother. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Cool enough for me to spend $15 on a docu-series and watch some of the cool stuff oh, that you've done yeah. over there. So I can't wait to dive into all of that. But we always start out with an icebreaker question. So today's icebreaker question, which is kind of punny, if you know what I mean, is would you rather live in an area where it only snows all the time or where the temperature never drops below 100 degrees Fahrenheit? Man, you know, I thought an icebreaker question. You let me know before we started recording, buddy. <laughs> no, I like, no. <laughs> catch, I like to catch you by surprise yeah. and get those. Uh, Is it reactions. humid or dry? Man, you know what? The uh, icebreaker. Because this makes it completely easy for me. <laughs> the icebreaker generator I was in didn't say. So, you know uh, what? Answer it how you want to answer it. Dry, definitely the over 100. What we have here in Houston oh, makes yeah. it tough. Almost uh, my buddies that I served with in Iraq in my first tour. His wife's from Alaska, and he was sending me pictures uh, a couple weeks ago of his vacation, and he's stationed in Thailand, so he's going from super hot humidity to Alaska in the summer. Different. Totally different, man. So, if I had to deal with humidity, I'll go to the cold. Really? Dry heat. I'll be going to dry heat if I had my choice. So, for my answer on this, dealing with Snowmageddon here in in, uh, oh, yeah, in the, the Houston breeze, area. Yeah. That was terrible. Um, I loved seeing real snow, you know, like actual on the ground snow because that was my first time. I've never been to like Colorado or oh, New Mexico or anywhere and seen oh, snow man. on the mountains and stuff. But man... I know we're under-equipped to deal with it here, but that Absolutely. shit is for the birds. I'm not all about being that cold. Absolutely. And for me, human or not, I mean, I feel <laughs> I feel like we almost live in a place where, you know, 10 months out of the year, it's above 100 degrees yeah, anyway. Yeah, summer one. Yeah. Summer two. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm used to dealing with this. So, I'm like, hey, you know what? As long as my AC works in my house and my AC works in my vehicle, that's the prerequisite. And you can feel here in the studio, it's a cool 68 degrees nice. every single day. Yeah. So. I only keep my shop, uh, the office portion at 74 just for raising price purposes <laughs> right now because <laughs> hey, my energy electric bill just doubled in the past three months. But I grew up in northern Indiana where I got snow every year. You okay. Know? Yeah. We were uh, 
shoveling snow into big piles and then hollowing it out, you know, and yep. then have a fort inside the little snow hill. So I grew up playing in the snow for right. hours. Kids feel cold differently. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I won't even jump into a pool that makes my nipples hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? It but hurts. my daughter will just, it's like, isn't that cold? It's yeah. like, nope. They don't care, man. <laughs> don't care. No, are we. So the beginning of this pool season, that's what happened at our community pool. Was mm-hmm. it was too cold for my wife and I. Mm-hmm. We were like, this this sucks. Like mm-hmm. I'm not getting in. <laughs> and our kids are like, come on, mom, come on, dad, let's go. And they're just hopping in. And I'm like, what is wrong with y'all? Like, yeah, I don't even like being outside anymore. Yeah, you know, I spent my whole army career as an oh. inf- infantryman. So yeah, my whole life has been outside. So if I don't just walk into my truck from you know my house. I'm like, oh, God, that first seven feet outside my garage yep. is just the worst part of the day. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's hop into that kind of stuff, man. Yeah, so yeah, sure. tell us uh, kind of your journey to entrepreneurship, oh, where you came yeah. from and and kind of how you got into that. Yeah. And yeah, let's just talk about it. Like I said, I, I grew up in a small town, Indiana. You know, everybody pretty much had a uh, goal of working at the same factory, you know, and it's, we didn't have any money. You know, I was basically a trailer park kid. But I was pretty skilled and was pretty sharp and things. So the opposite of some of my family members. Yep. <laughs> but I didn't have the right drive. Uh, wasn't you know I wasn't really steered in a in a successful way. You know I went from this in high school skater punk smoking in the bathroom that was dunking basketball since eighth grade. You know so super athletic and stuff, but just wasn't putting the energy in a in a positive area in my life. Got scholarship letters to go to school for track, high jump, but ended up getting married really early. Okay. Uh, for, you know, got her pregnant while I was still in high school. There you go. So I was like, what would a man do? What would a real man do? Right. And so at 17, I joined the National Guard, Indiana National Guard, between my junior and senior year of high school. So I went to basic training between my junior and senior year and then the AIT or my job infantry training after the senior year. So I basically spent two years in the National Guard, experienced some things they do. And was like, man, if we get deployed and we have to go to war, we're all going to die. (laughs) (laughs) No one knows how to do anything. No one has taught me anything. So I was like, I'm stuck in this contract. The only thing I could do is transfer to active duty. And uh, so I did. And uh, that led me into the military. And I didn't really realize my potential until late, you know, um, did a deployment to Iraq in 2004, 2005, and then a second deployment in 08. And that's where some high leadership took notice of me and stuff and basically got me into airborne school, ranger school, and in orders to ranger battalion. And that was just because of, I guess I was bringing something different in a leadership style and they thought I'd be good for it. Well, they probably directed that energy you talked about in the right area. Yeah. I started realizing, you know, hey, I can actually use some talents that I thought was people better than me. Right. You know, that certain things were set aside for people better than what I was. And, you know, that mentality is what kept me, you know, mediocre. Yep. And, um, the best thing that ever happened to me besides my wife and my <laughs> children was someone actually pointing that out. And I was like, wow. And unfortunately I got injured and in early retirement. So I did 14 years and then got 
early and then medically retired. Um, didn't have a backup plan. Didn't uh, have a whole lot of other skills other than picking grass out of rocks or training to, you know, go to war. You know, as an infantryman, that's just what we do. Yeah. But I had a real sharp, keen acumen of how business works when I'm exposed to it. So after retirement, I was like, well, I'm going to use my GI Bill because I don't know what else to do. And that's going to at least give me some other income other than my retirement disability. And I just wasn't really paying the bills either. And I was selling something on on Craigslist and this guy answers it. So he comes to my house to pick it up. And he's like, hey, you ever thought about selling cars? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I absolutely have never thought about doing that. And I don't really plan on it, doing that. Because the whole mentality of what a car salesman is, you know, is you're scum, you're trying to cheat people, this and that. You know, that's just the stigma, if right. you will. And my level of integrity that I have, you know, obviously instilled to me, you know, by my parents and furthered, you know, by the Army's core values. I just never thought that was something I could do. But then times got tough. So I ended up calling him up and got into car sales. A lot of infantry guys that get out of the military go into that because they're always hiring. Yep. Plus sales are is one thing that you can basically get into really easily. Now, whether if you're going to be good at it or not, you find out pretty quick. And right. There's high turnover rate in sales, and that's why. But I was really good at it because I had to figure out a way to overcome people's preconceptions of who I was before I even spoke. And I got really good at doing that within the first 10 seconds and sold a lot of cars. You know, I was a top salesperson quite a you know, maybe like every three or four months out of 15 people. But it still weighed on me of how people thought of me. I was like, gosh, I just can't mentally or emotionally handle that. You know, I'm an infantry platoon sergeant. And I'm sitting here getting scolded by this guy that wants to save $5, you know? Right. So I got out of that and I started thinking, well, what else can I do? I was introduced and, and just, you know, for other people that are listening that are thinking about doing, uh, getting into uh, starting their own business and things like that, it seriously is all about relationships. Like, if you're going to be a douchebag, your business is going to fail no matter what. Yep. No matter what. The success I'm having or the level of success that I've, you know, been able to have so far is because of people I know feel comfortable about recommending me, recommending the, the brand, because they know I don't waver in certain areas and they can trust that. So that's going to be how business, businesses succeed in the beginning. Now, there are businesses where the owners just complete dicks, you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. And they're able to do that now because they're established and they're making millions. Absolutely. And now the owners are so far apart from the actual daily operations of the business that it doesn't really matter. Right. But if you're starting out, you need to have good relationships and, and you're going to depend on a lot of them. And then you're going to realize, man, I didn't know I knew so many people that do so many things. You know, it's crazy how that happens. After car sales, I did that for almost like three years. Yeah. And then I was recommended to a guy that owned a sign company. So they make 
big, huge letter signs. So if you picture the word Walmart on the side of Walmart. Right, channel letters, channel stuff letters, like yeah. that. Uh-huh. Um, he needed a project manager. And the guy that recommended me owns pretty much all the sport clips, haircut places from middle of Houston West. And he owns all of them. Like okay. he's, um, And he was like, hey, my friend is looking for a project manager. What's it paying? And I started thinking, I was like, man, what's it really matter? I'm selling cars. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not trying to dog the the occupation. Sure. You know, but there's it was just wasn't for me. It's, yeah. yeah, there's some really successful guys making big money that would just be missing in the middle of the day because they just didn't want to be there and they wouldn't get in trouble because they're the top sales guys, <laughs> you know? So I don't mean to speak poorly about it. It just didn't match my personality and my, right. you know, what I wanted to do. So I became a project manager at that company and got to see how business, this is when I first started seeing business and this is what I'm trying to get at. Sure. Because I worked so closely with the owner. So basically it was the owner, like if he was the commander, I was the first sergeant. There you go. And, um, and I Felt was managing. Familiar. Yeah. To be a little bit more familiar. Right. I was managing all the bigger accounts. Uh, once I showed him I can do that, he was like, oh, well, won't you manage the shop too? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> then when he saw I could do that, he's like, Manage the other location. I'm like, okay, I need a raise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's like, well, I just don't have the money. And I was like, well, I got offered a, another job at this startup um, where they were making ammo and um, AR platform rifles. And so I went there to um, basically be a set up their sales, the whole sales uh, process. Process, yeah. Right. And, and, um, that didn't last long. They're, um, they weren't even open, right? And this is about the time this show they did about my platoon on National Geographic Channel was about to air, but they were flying us in different areas of the country for premieres. So I had the LA premiere coming up, and I was like, hey, just so you guys know, there's this TV show they are doing about my unit, my platoon. We got stuck in this alley in Iraq in 2004, and... They invited a lot of us that were in a platoon to do the premiere in L.A. It's like, oh, wow, that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You should totally go. I was like, yeah, kind of plan on going. Yeah, that was the point. Yeah. So remember, the company wasn't even open yet. I'm sitting here thinking of the direction for the sales and things like that, working with the marketing guy, you know, so I can kind of match what he's doing and stuff um, because those things go hand-in-hand. Hand. Long story short, I come back from the premiere, and my computer's off my desk. Mm. And I was like, hey, I made some really cool contacts in L.A. This guy that uh, basically uh, composes his home, own music, sells a lot of it for movies and this and that. He said we can have free range of whatever we want on his website and not have to pay a dime. And some other th people that I've made contact with that were willing to do some things. He goes, yeah, we'll talk about that. I was like, what are you talking about? We'll talk about that. I need my computer. <laughs> yeah. I figured you just took it off my desk so no one messes with it. So basically, right. I reported to the CEO. And then he goes, okay, well, let's go in the conference room. Brings the investor in there. He's like, hey, we got to let you go. And I was like, what happened? He goes, well, it's right there in your letter. And I'm reading it. I'm like, lack of sales. I'm like, we're not even open. Like, there's not even stuff being made here yet. Like, what do you mean lack of sales? So I was like, man, you guys are dirty. You know, something else is going on. And I just didn't know what it was. So I was like, all right, cool. Let me grab my stuff. So I start grabbing my stuff. CEO comes in. He's like, hey, I just got outvoted by the investors. And I was like, well, 
did you stand up for me? Mm-hmm. He goes, well, the investors already voted and I have to go along with them. I was like, oh, so you're a pussy. <laughs> That's pretty much the explanation. Yeah, <laughs> you no know? backbone. Yeah, no backbone. You're six foot eight, dude. I was like, well, that's okay, man. I left. I was like, well, what else could I do? This is my first attempt at entrepreneurship coming up right here. I started a website for other veteran entrepreneurs. So what I was going to do is market their products and then put it on a platform, kind of like Amazon-ish. So it's just complete random stuff. So if you're a veteran, you own a company and you made pretty much made your own product or branded your own product. And then what I would do is a video promoting them, put on social media, this and that. And then I, every time something's purchased off the website, it automatically takes a cut, you know, like a commission. And instead of saying, here's the commission, I would negotiate with every company, with every veteran. And man, that was the worst. That was the worst. I was like, man, are veterans really like this? They're like, want me to take one, two percent? I was like, dude, your product is ten dollars. Right. <laughs> a video, a good one's gonna cost about seven or eight hundred dollars to make. It's gonna take me forever to break even on a video. And like, well, you should do it for free because I'm a veteran. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, yeah. oh is this where the mentality is? Because this is my first time really experiencing the veteran mentality, I, I, maybe I shouldn't label it that, but a, um, a mentality of entitlement from a group of people, in my view, should be bringing a view of strength of our country right. to people. Not poor me, not, hey, how do I get to 100%? You know, I heard an IED from 17 miles away, you know, and then they want to get 100% for it. We should be still portraying America's strength, even if we're not wearing a uniform. So that was the worst part of starting that company was negotiating with other veterans about business stuff. And a lot of it probably is because I wasn't that well-versed in business and neither were they. And everyone's trying to protect themselves and their interests. So I get it to an extent, but to expect stuff for free or one or 2%, you know, that's, that's, I'll tell you, it's not even <laughs> just stuck to to veterans, man. It's a widespread problem that we deal with now of people not wanting to pay. And it's like, hey, you know, a, a marketing agency. It's like mm-hmm. we're not beefy marketing is not a cheap agency. You don't mm-hmm. you don't come to us and expect that you're going to get social media for a couple hundred bucks a month or anything like it. Mm-hmm. It costs money to provide those services. And, and you're right, man. So many people just. I don't know if they expect it for cheap or they just think like it's fun and easy. And it's like, it's not easy. (laughs) Well, here's, here's a trick I learned in car sales. So I'm not saying it was all a bad experience. Like I learned so much about just sales theory and sales strategy, figuring out the best way to approach people on selling anything really. And because cars, cars aren't hard to sell because everyone wants one or everyone needs one. Right. What you're trying to do is get them to buy from you. So if they like you, they like the product, then you just got price to worry about. Right. And that's pretty much the three things when it comes to sales. But you're right about the entitlement attitude being more widespread, but it should be different for veterans in my mind. 100%. You know what I mean? We should 
if other people want to act that way, we should just let them, but be different. A higher standard. Higher standard. Same for first standards. responders. First responders. Yeah, love like we all death. feel that. Or I shouldn't say love them to death. I know what you mean, though. Yeah, I think that was Dr. Phil was like, don't say love them to death. <laughs> uh, but high respect for all law enforcement and first responders. So that, that company was called the Patriot Trading Company. So there's a lot of mistakes I made there and learned from. One was just the URL itself. The Patriot Trading Co. Yep. Was the URL. Long. Too long. It was super. Like, after typing, I'm like, hey, here's the website. Type, 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 type. Patriot. Oh, I need another T for trading. I'm like, crap. I, this I is did a the nightmare. same thing for my first DJ company. Mm-hmm. JD's Mobile DJ Services.com. Spell it. Like, just try to spell it. You know how many yeah. times I'd have to tell someone? JDS mobile mm-hmm. dj services with an s.com like all the time <laughs> i did the same thing yeah yeah but you learn though right you don't right. give up you learn yeah now it's omg event.co <laughs> there you go who doesn't remember omg that's easy so that that didn't do well i mean didn't get a whole lot of vendors the platform was really cool though the way um it was structured was basically someone purchases off my site it sends the order to in an email to the vendor saying, hey, there's an order for, uh, that's on the Patriot Trading Co. Send the product, this product to this address. And then it divvies out, automatically divvies out, you know, my commission and sends them the rest. So that part was good. I remember coding my first button. Took me three days and I cried. Yeah. I was like, oh, it works. It works. Yeah. Crack a beer. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing anything for the rest of the day. <laughs> you know, so those are just some of the small victories in starting uh, your venture in entrepreneurship, right? You can't usually afford, unless you got an investor, to, you know, hire people to do certain things. So you got to figure it out or, you have a relationship with someone that does know it, who's willing to help and believes in you. During that process is when I met this person that does my website now. So this was 2016, 17, and we're still tight. Never met the guy. Lives in Colorado. Wow. Uh, He's also an army vet. He started his own vodka brand called Rainbow Unicorn Vodka. (laughs) So R-U-V... I think the website's like L-U-V-R-U-V.com. And it's, you would never think that it was this big, tall military guy that has this Heck yeah. unicorn, rainbow unicorn, <laughs> cotton, cotton candy flavored vodka. You know what I mean? Like brand. But he's got that marketing mind. He's got the know-how. So he's been working with me on doing marketing in my website. He was doing TAC 11 website and marketing not the marketing, but building the marketing data, right? getting the marketing data for the first year and didn't ask for a cent. It's killer. Yeah. And it's because of the relationship I had with him. And it's because he believed in my drive. He believed in my integrity. And just, he tells me all the time, he's like, Justin, you, don't, you just don't understand of how many few good dudes, like legit good dudes are out there. And I was like, shouldn't be that way no like i don't yeah. see my I, just, I see myself as struggling to be a, you know what i would consider a good person all the time because we're always struggling with the d- certain decisions oh man i could do this or oh man i can lose a little bit of money but 
someone's going to see me in a better light if I do it this way because it's the right thing to do. Right. You know, so it's those decisions that create some of these relationships, man. And, you know, I just can't, you know, thank God enough for, you know, the way I've changed. Always a good dude. You know, my early army career, I was your typical army infantryman going out and club until two, three in the morning and getting up two hours later doing PT. You know, uh, I mean, yeah. everybody that's served, you know, active, at least active, knows exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have to be in the infantry to obviously have that experience. But that was my life then, you know. So growing as an individual has been huge to to be able to maintain some of these relationships. Patriot Trading Company didn't work out. But, you know, you got to look at these things as not a defeat, just as a learning process. Yep. I mean, there's not a CEO or business owner out there that hasn't had a failed business or several. I was going to say <laughs> several. Yeah. I would say I heard this from a guy I work with and I like to repeat it, man. It's I'm never wrong. I'm just learning. There you go. So it's not that I made a mistake there. It's mm-hmm. that I learned something there. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's a good mindset to have. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So from there, I was like, you know, I miss combat. And I uh, wanted to get back into it, but in an aspect that paid a lot more money. So contracting, right? If you've been in combat arms and been deployed and most likely non-commissioned officer, you pretty much, I don't want to say guaranteed, but there are companies out there that are just like, that is what we're looking for. Sure. You know, so I was going to go to East Africa. I probably can't say exactly where. Because at the time, they couldn't even tell me when I was, like, getting ready to go. And I was like, well, I better get some armor. So I Googled, hey, where can I get some armor? And there was a place not too far from my house here in the Houston area. I went there, and they were like, oh, well, here, that's awesome. Here, you can have this one. Just pay for that one. You can have this, this, and this. I'm just like, how valuable is this stuff if I'm just being given it? Does it really work then? You know what I mean? That's what's going through my head. Yeah. It turns out that's just the way this guy sells. Like he doesn't have a way to actually build value in a product. The only way he can move a product really is to offer free ones with a paid purchase. So, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, this guy either really doesn't believe his own product, the the quality in it, or he just really thinks I'm the most awesome dude ever. (laughs) (laughs) Option two. Yeah. Let's go with option two. Why not? Right. Um, So I leave with it. And a couple weeks later, I was getting ready to to roll. So before you actually go to a a deployment as a contractor, you got to go to their course and things like that. So make sure they can shoot, tell you the rules, all that stuff. I get a call by his business partner, the other owner, and he's like, hey, would you like to do our sales? Because you seem like someone that connects with people really easy. You got a great military combat background. You got a great attitude. We think you would be great at this. I'm just like, East Africa? (laughs) Three miles from my house. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So I did. I joined the team, and uh, it was very raw. Very raw. Um, I didn't know, like protection levels of armor back then, um, you know, because in the military, you're just given stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like, wear this. I'm like, cool. You don't even ask what it stops. You know, <laughs> like my first vest back, like I joined in 1999. My first vest, you can literally 
pierce it with a fork. So it's like, hmm. But I wore it, you know? I wore armor all my junior and adult life, you know? So I knew what it was like to wear stuff we were given in the military, which is usually pretty heavy. And this stuff was relatively light. So I took, uh, I was like, okay, well, there's a new regulation coming out for fire departments where they're going to have to have active shooter kits. So I immediately just started banging out to, um, I made, it was really cool. I made this uh, selection tool thing. It's a form, an interactive form. It was on a free website and got a company to give me all like the chief and the captains of basically all fire departments in the country almost. And I was, I made this uh, selection tool where you go through the certain steps. Hey, what's your name and phone number? What department you with? Email. What protection level do you want? And then every time you click next, it just slides and another one comes up. So you're picking, you know, what kit, how you want to build your own kit for your department. And then when you click submit, it says you're going to get a copy when you click submit. So you have it for your record and we get one. It doesn't add them to like a email list or anything, but it tells me who they are, who they're with, how to get a hold of them, what exactly they want, how many of them they want. So it basically told me everything without even picking up a phone. That year, I took that company from 250K to 800K within just the year I was there when I started till the year, my anniversary. And I didn't make one cold call. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because if anybody's had to cold call, man, <laughs> it's... Uh, because you know that you don't want to be cold called. Absolutely. But you also, as a salesman, know you have to cold call. Yeah. I mean... Yep. In theory. That's and why it's I just rough. hang up and I don't give them a third degree. I was yeah. like, oh, don't you call me again? <laughs> you guys are crap, blah, blah, I know. You know, I've heard people do that. I'm like, dude, they're just trying to make <sighs> yeah. money. You know, they're just trying to do a job. So I get it. But I'm also not going to waste my time sitting there talking to them about no. stuff I'm not interested in. The only time I get rude is when I tell you, hey, I'm just, I'm not interested, man. You know, yeah. and then I and get the solicitors the at line. the door. That's yeah. my big thing is is the knocking, the door to door. And I'm like, bro, I got a dog that's trying to get out. I got three kids screaming like heathens in my house. <laughs> my wife's making dinner and needs me to help her with something. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm i not interested. Yeah. And then, it, well, but sure, I could just, look, give me your business card. Get the hell out of here. Like, I'm definitely not going to buy from you if you're going to continue this. Absolutely. Like, no, I've done coaching with some of those people, too. Like, there was one door-to-door. I'll get back on my point here in a second. Uh, but this, right. this Tangents are our thing here. Yeah, so. yeah well... <laughs> This one door-to-door sales guy, I forget what he was trying to sell. It might have been, it's either, what's the major two we got going on right here, especially on, in new uh, neighborhoods? We got solar. Oh, solar, pet, security, pest, pest yeah, and security. all the time. Yep. I think it was a pest control dude. At any rate, so there's a sidewalk that goes beside my house to this empty field in, in the back uh, rear of my house between me and my neighbor. So it's basically like a big walking area for residents. He's like leaned up against my fence and near my backyard. My neighbor's a lawyer and he's like, hey, Bellamy, dude, there's someone just scoping out your backyard and just camping out back there. I was like, what? I grabbed my Glock. <laughs> I clopped here. Always. I got it, you know, appendix carry and I'm like peeking around because uh, most of it's wood, you know, picket type six foot fence. And then some of it is raw iron because there's nobody behind me. So I'm like peeking through and this dude's just sitting on the ground, man, in freaking Texas sun. 
like, uh, so I went back in and I grabbed him some a bottle of water. Actually, I grabbed him two. And I was like, hey, man, you doing all right? He's like, man, this is tough. I mm. keep getting the door shut in my face and this and that. I was like, look, door to door, it's been dead for a long time. Well, they told me this one guy's making like 250K a year doing it. And I was like, have you met that guy? He <laughs> goes, no, I never, I don't know if he ever comes in or not. I'm like, I don't think that dude exists. Right. You know? It's like, really? I moved here from Oklahoma. I don't even nobody here. So I started giving him some tips about sales and stuff. I was like, what you want to do is my name is so-and-so. Here's what we do. Here's how I can help save you money if you're interested in this. Here's my card. Do you have any questions? No? Have a great day. I hope to hear yep. from you. And leave it at that. Yeah. Because at least you're going to end it on a positive note. Instead of trying to force someone into buying something they don't either want. Absolutely. Even if they did want it, they're not buying from you now because you're trying to force it. Yep. It's like, wow, I never thought about it that way. It's like, it's that simple, man. It's like, you're not going to, I mean, not everyone's going to say yes, but you'll probably get more yeses than you were. That's how the security company that I signed up with got me was, it was, he was like plain and simple. Hey, I know y'all just moved in. I know you're busy getting settled. I'm not trying to take up your time. Can I get your name and number? and maybe an email so that I can schedule a time to come in and then I'll sell to you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, that's easy. Cause yeah, now yeah. instead of you having me distracted, mm-hmm. you're guaranteeing yourself that you have me as a captive audience. Mm-hmm. That's smart. Cause a, a, a professional salesman can sell anything. Sure. Anything. Like I could probably go into oil and gas if I can just, okay, teach me the product. Right. So this, does it work this way? Once you learn the product, that's it. You know what I mean? So Mogadish right. or no East Africa and <laughs> <laughs> So so back to the, back yeah. to the conversation. So we this were is at. where I get into the armor industry. Yeah. I don't want to say the name of it, but I, I will say that it's uh it was portrayed to be veteran owned. And um so I just took them at their word that they were veterans. And I was told how and where the product was being made and this and that. So for you know, that first year I took them from 250 to like 700 and something or 800K. And then the following year I took them to 1.7 for that year. So basically within 18 months, I took them from 250, 250,000 in sales to 1.7. And I was the only salesperson there. And they're like, oh my gosh, man, this dude's killing it. They didn't want to pay me commission. They were trying to figure out a way to skirt around the commission. It's like, well, we'll give you, you know, uh, and you're a great army leader, blah, 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 blah. You know, we can build a team around you. What if we gave you 15% of the company? And I'm thinking, okay, long term, and that there's an investor now that put in five mil. I'm going to play this long term and just let the commission slide. And then, uh, so I took the 15% and got into a bigger building that had a machine in the back. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, we're going to stop making it wherever it's made at now and do it here. Machines never got turned on. Mm. And then I started figuring out, man, this is rebranded Chinese stuff. Then I got to see some testing results and stuff, and they weren't testing within the parameters of what National Institute of Justice said it should. So I hold my integrity really high. You know, like I said, you're all about relationships. You, If you have no integrity, you have no relationships. Right. Because people f- will figure that out pretty quick, who you're willing to screw over and stuff like that. And it becomes apparent. 
there was some infighting with the other two owners. They were arguing in front of, you know, employees. Employees didn't want to stay. Um, there's always some kind of conspiracy theory of such and such employee has it out for such and such owner. And I'm just like, man, this place is getting to be a nut house. And it's not made where I was told. And it's not performing the way I was told it was. And I have friends that are in law enforcement and stuff. And I'm sitting there going, hey, yeah, it works. Yeah. So if you classify stopping bullets as works, okay, it works. But not in the parameters that it should. So I told him, I was like, I need to stop doing the sales. Like, what we need is someone better at marketing than me. Because I was also doing the marketing. Gotcha. I said, we need someone better at marketing than me and someone that knows government contracting better than me. Like, no, we need three salespeople. I'm like, no. Marketing will get people to call. Then we just become a call center and taking orders. No, we need more salespeople. And I'm like, I got outvoted. So they wanted to hire salespeople. They hire these two guys, veterans, that uh, were the first two to apply. Didn't bother looking at anybody else. And I'm sitting here, like, face-palming myself. Like, man. Two people that's never done sales before, and I have to teach them everything about basically mm. sales yeah. and the product and how the regulations work and and blah 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 blah. But if that's the way it was going to be, hey, that's I'm going to do it. Those guys didn't last either because of same same things that were going on. And then uh, this might be saying a lot, but in our town where the shop is. The local PD was a customer. The owner or CEO, whatever, he gets pulled over in our parking lot for no seatbelt. <laughs> Cop comes up to him. He's like, hey, sir, the reason why I pulled you over. And he's like, just give me my effing ticket. He's like, no, I'm just telling you because I want you to wear your seatbelt right. from here on out. Whatever, I got better stuff to do. Just write me my effing ticket. And he's like, okay. So he goes... To his car, does the ticket thing. He wasn't even going to give him the ticket. Yeah. Comes back to his vehicle. Sir, here's your ticket. Blah, blah, blah. Does, does that part. The officer starts walking back to his car. This guy gets out of his vehicle, starts storming after the cop, cussing him up and down. Tell him he's going to beat his ass, all kinds of stuff. I wasn't there, but my the guy I, ha I hired to manage the salespeople was there and ended up having to like physically grab him and mm. pull him into the store, the, the shop to get him to, cause he was about to get tased. The, the cops like, sir, step back from the vehicle, you know? And basically all my, that those years of cultivating that relationship with that police department, they were never going to buy from anyone else. Oh man. Never. Like we already had it. Right. Yeah. So that five seconds ruined three years of work for me. And that's when I was like, man, I need to, I need to separate from here. This is not matching my integrity. It's not matching, you know, uh, the level of quality I want to be associated with. And these dudes aren't the type of people I would normally associate. They're family members I don't talk to for that reason. I don't want to be associated with them. Got the same last name, but we also live 1,200 miles away, <laughs> you know, so, you know. Uh, easier that way. It is easier that way. And so when I saw that writing on the wall is when I was like, I'm going to start building TAC 11 while I'm still there. 
I didn't do any sales, no marketing. It was just laying foundation, getting the ideas together, things like that. So I don't want to make it look like I was working another company, right? you know, while at a place that was paying a paycheck. You know, I've even talked to the, the investor and he became a friend of mine and plays in my fantasy football league every year now. And he's char- in charge of billions of dollars. Like he, he's in a billion dollar family. Sure. So that's when I started making TAC 11, man. And, uh, I wanted to do it right. I found a, how this, this is crazy how this worked. I took a phone call and this guy says, Hey, I'm working this potential contract with this other country. I've been hung up on by other armor companies, but if you want to Google me, here's my name. Turns out this is a ballistics engineer that's been in the industry for 20 years. Yeah. So I treated him. I treated him as good as I treat anyone else because you get phone calls about these contracts and stuff all the time. Oh, you know some. You know the prince of Saudi Arabia, do you? Oh. (laughs) <laughs> you and everybody else, apparently. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's one of those deals. But I treat everyone the same regardless of how that looks because you never know when it's going to be legit. Sure. So he ended up being coming on to TAC 11 team and being the ballistics engineer. And he's he designs uh, the armor makeup and how it's pressed and temperatures and all that stuff. I never knew that stuff. Like I knew the process overall. But I couldn't tell you what temperature this material needs to be at and pressed at what PSI and stuff like that. He does that. And so that was a heck of a, you know, find just by chance and just cultivate that relationship. And we talk every day for the past two years. And I wanted to, even though in the market you have uh, certain groups of people, it's like, I'm only buying American made, not that cheap Chinese crap. All right, here's an American one. It's priced this. Here's a Chinese-made one, and it's $250 less. They'll sit there on social media and go, I'm only buying American, but then go buy the Chinese one because they don't want that in their pocket. They don't want to pony up the extra dough. So I've learned that. Unfortunately, I can't bring myself to match that really. Like I might in the future just to give another option to people that want a cheaper route, but it wouldn't be China. It would most likely be like Hong Kong, something that's more pro-America. I mean, if you think about it, Hong Kong, what, just a couple of years ago, we're in the streets waving American flags, you know, saying our national anthem, you know, wanting their rights, wanting their Second Amendment rights. So that's something I think, as long as they're doing good work, Having that mentality means more to me than random Chinese factory that's who knows what you're going to get. Yeah, I mean, I think the the manufacturing quality and standards is different. Can be, yeah, met can be met as long as you're watching it, developing mm-hmm. it, all that stuff. It, it's not to say all Chinese products are bad. I mean, right. you're 100 right. Is it preferable mm-hmm. to our opinion to have American made 100? percent And there's nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. but. There are things that come out of China that as long as it is made to iPhone. the same quality, you can get it. Well, yeah. I mean, iPhone. look at Where's a your lot iPhone of electronics. Made? Yeah. literally made in China. You know, sometimes I remind people of that too. But you, you, when you're searching for a manufacturing place in, in Asia or whatever, you're probably having to go through 60 to 100 crap ones before you find that one that has more of yep. an ISO 9001 setup, you know, that, that standard. For TAC 11, though, we want to make sure that we're – 
making things as much as we can in Texas. So there's a new plate carrier that we're making right now, and that's going to be made here in Houston. Heck so, yeah. But definitely made in USA stuff. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's tough because you're poning up a lot more money to do it that way. And money is a huge deal when you're starting a business, you yep. know? think you know just in this i guess it's been two years now i made during the height of covid i had there and here's another example of relationships this guy i deployed with in 2004 ended up going green to gold and becoming an officer he was stationed in germany at medac bavaria and basically they're like a his their logistics officer and he was basically in charge of getting all the products and materials and everything they need for the whole installation. And he's like, Justin, he calls me. He's like, man, I know you're starting a new business, but I can't find these products. None of my suppliers have them. And it's, you know, the run of the mill COVID stuff, your nitro gloves, your masks, gowns. I even found the COVID tests. Right. I can't get them and I need them really bad. So I almost, and he had to say almost, don't care what they cost. And I was like, man, don't tell me that. Right. I priced it market value, but I ended up profiting in two, April and May about $270,000 in those two months alone just in moving those COVID products. Every penny has been spent on TAC 11. Uh, I say every penny. I think I paid myself in that first year maybe $6,000. Only because my wife was like, when are you going to pay yourself? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. You right. Know? Building. Yeah. So I've dumped every, I say dumped, invested in myself where I probably could have paid off a big chunk of my house uh, or got a really cool car. <laughs> and, you know, I'm over, you know, I've made sales since then and stuff too. So, you know, there's been more investment right. on top of that. So I'm at least 300K in investing in this company and still haven't really paid myself anything. So just to give people a outlook of, you know, what entrepreneurship looks like, it's a, it's, it's a fight to pay yourself. And then like for the first year, like I said, I paid myself 6K. I paid $57,000 in taxes. My wife was like, but we didn't make anything. I know. Theft by the government. <laughs> Taxation theft. <laughs> no, I hear you, man. It's a hefty yeah. bill to pay at the end of yeah. the, the yeah. year. So are y'all direct to consumer and That's a the great question. distribution model? Started out with the idea of only wanting to have dealers and just do wholesale pricing. You can only buy from dealers, but your brick and mortar stores and it's kind of a backwards mentality when you think about it. Brick and mortar stores don't want inventory, but they want to sell stuff. But you can't sell stuff unless it's there because what's going to happen when a customer comes there is like, oh, you might have an example, you know, might have a sample and they pick it up and go, oh, yeah, this is awesome. I want this. And they're like, great, I'll order it. And they're like, but I want to take it with me. Yep. Like, well, we don't have it in stock. You know how many companies lose sales by doing it that way? Right. Like, even if you, what you should, what they should do is keep a, do a small stock. You know, don't spend tens of thousands of dollars on this one product. 
you know, but have some. And once you get to three or four left, reorder. So at least you have that. Most of these companies that sign up to be dealers, uh, and I'm not bad mouthing any of them. It's early on, it was really tough to get them to invest in themselves. I'm like, hey, here's a study. I found a study online that shows that 80% of people are more likely to buy something they're interested in if it's there. Yeah. Oh, instant gratification, 100%. Yeah. And it was just tough to get them on board with that. So we had to open it up to direct sales. And so basically we we're both right now and we have an ambassador program that's really awesome. And it's really, it's all automated too on the website. So basically a brand ambassador could be anyone. Uh, I mean, we would prefer someone that knows a little bit about, you know, this industry, tactical gear, shooting, maybe has a good following on social media where they can sign up to be a, a brand ambassador. They have a code, you know, that's not a new thing. Whoever uses their code gets 10% off and then 10% of what that customer purchased goes into their PayPal. So it's basically all automated in the process and stuff. And they can sign up dealers. So dealers have a $2,600 minimum order. I mean, you can do that with five sets of plates, armor plates, depending on which ones. So really it's not that difficult to get to that $2,600 mark. They get 10% of what the dealer makes too. Yeah. Or set or purchases. Mm -hmm. So when a dealer repurchases, that brand ambassador might not even talk to them again. I hope they do, but they might not have. Right. And they're still getting that 10%. It's $260 for what? I like to call that introduction. I like to call that mailbox money. It's mailbox money. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, there's a brand ambassador who's probably paying his car note, depending on the type of car, but you know, I would say a decent car. (laughs) Right. And uh, that's how he's you know, making some mailbox money. And, you know, it's just these different things that you got to try in business to help move the brand. You know, we haven't done a big social media push because I wasn't completely happy with the catalog. There is a, a certain CID division. I won't say which one that put out a solicitation that had our brand inspects everything listed in it. We bid it. We bid at 1.7. No, the first time was 1.2. And then they didn't award it to anybody. They ended up canceling it because we're a new company. And anytime you're dealing with like a million plus dollars of solicitations with a government entity, they want to see you have the financial solvency to be able to handle, you know, doing the production and delivering. Right. I get it. But the way they do that is, is with a Duns and Bradstreet rating. And Duns and Bradstreet, there is a free version. Nothing happens on a free version. Uh, Even the sales to the army, that captain did a, I guess they called a review or whatever, and sent it into Duns and Bradstreet. And that's supposed to raise your rating and then uh, do different things. And basically wrote up, man, best experience ever, delivered on everything. It was hundreds of thousands of product. And... Everything went really smooth, trustworthy, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's been almost two years, and my rating doesn't even recognize that that was even sent in. So what the state does is they take that Duns & Bradstreet rating along with your bank information, your financial solvency proof, and go, okay, yeah, we think you can actually handle it. But because I didn't, I mean, at that time we were a year old and basically didn't have that many sales yet. 
they just end up canceling it. And then I was I asked because we're a hub company too, historically underutilized business. And so I asked the state's hub representative, I'm like, hey, what can I do to ensure we get this if it comes out again? And she did some research. She's like, well, you need to get another company to bid on it for you that has more financial solvency proof. So I got a buddy that runs a company, has nothing to do with tactical gear. It's actually a recruiting company, a professional headhunter recruiting company. The year, <laughs> the year that this happened came back out. Again, TAC 11 specs. TAC 11 FR7 plates, TAC 11 2A3 plate carrier, TAC 11 this, TAC 11 that. Like a list of items. It's basically our whole website that they wanted to order. And it was like 600 of each, um, 640 something. I was like, oh, it's back out. And I already prepped my guy, my friend that owns that company. He's like, yeah, I mean, we do about 11 million a year. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So we bid on it together. He had to put his cut on top to make money for lending his credentials, basically. And that took it up to like, plus some of the costs went up from the first bid and stuff like that. So it ended up going from 1.2 to 1.7. And then I got a phone call from somebody from that state, that department, and was like, you got it, man. I was like, sweet. Let's start. Let's get to work. So I started making 300 of these plate carriers and stuff started with those because I had some of those officers in the shop saying, here's how we want it. Like literally help like designing it the way they want to start making them get 300 deep into uh, quantity, 300 of them. They end up canceling. So I've got 300 plate carriers that I've never really would have had, had they not wanted it the way they wanted it. You know what I mean? So that was tough. You know, that was tens of thousands of dollars in costs that I ate. For those of you out there doing contracts and things like that, don't do anything until you have an actual purchase order. Having that representative of that department calling you and telling you that you got it doesn't carry weight. Yeah, very true. Yeah, unfortunately. So when I'm purchasing armor from your website, do y'all allow any type of customization? Is it just a spec, you know, the, the, what you have there or, or what kind of options do well, I have? Well, it depends. Uh, as an individual customer, no. Unless okay. you want to pay a lot of money. You want a one-of-a-kind plate carrier. I mean, you, you're going to spend probably about four or five grand. But if you're LAPD ordering 600 of them, different yeah, story. Yeah, so I had a conversation with a I'm not going to say what department, but it's close here in Houston, and their SWAT team is rather large. I was on the phone with their purchasing sergeant yesterday, and he was asking similar questions about the side armor. And I was like, well, right now it's this size. And he goes, yeah, but if we needed some that were longer, you could do that? And I'm like, because any company wants to stick with their spec because you can repeat it. It's easier. It's easier to repeat. You've already got the process down. You've already got the process down. You have all the cut files. You don't have to mess with anything. So, but when it comes to a prestigious type unit like this one, it's yes, sir. Yes, sir. And just <laughs> figure it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of companies do things that way, you know? Yes. And then they figure it out, you know, but um, that's part of being an entrepreneur too, is if you don't know, you got to figure it out. You know, and my wife told me, what was it? She said something like, so how does it feel not having to get up? 
like super early and go to a job. And I was like, I said, it's, it's tough. Yeah. She's like, well, you get to sleep in. I was like, well, you get up at five. So anything later than five is sleeping into you, yeah. <laughs> first of all. And second of all, I, not only do I have to do the work, I have to create it. I actually have to create the work yeah. and do it. So it's not any easier whatsoever. But man, it, it feels so much better to be. And it's not really a control thing. It's more of a, I like to create. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you, an entrepreneur gets to set the standard. I mean, maybe not so much in franchises, but when you own your own personal business and you get to create it, create the feel, create the, the experience other people have with your company, man, that, there's nothing that can replace that. There really isn't. Um, and having people, like there's this guy that came back from Ukraine about a month and a half ago. I get a, well, we got a um, inquiry about being a brand ambassador. And he's like, hey, uh, I just got back from Ukraine a couple of days ago, like your product, and like to be a brand ambassador. Well, I ended up calling the guy myself. I was like, hey, how'd you hear about the company? He's like, oh, it was this special forces group in Ukraine, man, that, you know, is a bunch of Ukrainians, some Lithuanians, and some Americans all in this one group. And, um, basically a Mitch team that they put together with multinational type teams. And he goes, it was actually a Ukrainian dude that told me about it. And I was like, that's pretty rad. That is really rad. And um, so that kind of thing in an entrepreneur's mind, just, man, it's so big, you know? So like I said, there's nothing that can replace that stuff. So are y'all shipping worldwide? There are regulations when it comes to body armor okay, that yeah. every that I, I follow. Obviously, I follow that. Right. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, what happened was this group of Navy SEALs supplied a small team that went over there. Okay. Now, if you're taking your own personal kit, it's not the same thing as exporting. You can, you can sure. fly. You can go. As long as that country that you're going to allows it when you get there, you'll be fine. Gotcha. You show up to Australia, you're yeah. getting it taken away. Right. You know, you cannot, I mean, this is not allowed there. Exporting is something you do through, with government filing yep. and things like that when it comes to international trade and arms regulations or ITAR. I, I couldn't imagine having to be well-versed in that. That's got to be... Well, it's a tough. huge my, task. So my wife is her company's uh, government, government contracted. Her company basically works, builds, and maintains um, DoD websites and stuff. So her project is basically she runs a team that does the uh, security clearance site process. And she had to do a ITAR class recently. She's like, oh, I, I know some things about ITAR. I was like, oh, yeah, how long was your class? She's like, oh, I had to sit there and watch something for like an hour and a half. And I started laughing. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, so you don't so really you know, know anything. You know that it exists. <laughs> you know it exists, it. yeah. And But it, it covers – and the reason why I say it that way is because she's an IT, computer, computer science degree, not even having to do anything with exporting product. Right. But there's still ITAR regulations as it – pertains to like intellectual property and things like that. So it's really broad and you can break it without even knowing you did anything wrong because it doesn't feel like you didn't like, well, 
what's wrong with that? Right. You're like, well, it's against the law. I'm like, that's stupid. Yeah. Put my handcuffs on, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. No. So you really have to know it. And I say and, and not and or, but and have a uh, ITAR uh, legal people that at least you're acquainted with. Uh, a, a, basically a law firm that specializes in ITAR and stuff. It's not the same thing as in the military. You're putting it on, you're getting on a plane, you're flying over there and you get off and it's the same stuff you're basically going to wear in combat uh, yeah. until they start doing refits and stuff in Kuwait. But yeah, man, entrepreneurship is, the world is made of different people and how their mindsets are. And entrepreneurs just have a different mindset than other people that are like my wife. She's happy with her. You know, she gets on, works from home, makes good money with a great company. And she's completely fine with never being around another human and being off work when she's off work. Own your own business. Doesn't work that way. Yeah. 24-7. 24-7. So the world needs both types of mindsets there. So it's, you know, if it's, entrepreneurship that you're interested in, you want to give it a shot, you get a crash course pretty fast if that's something you're suited for. Or, you know, if you quit, obviously you're not suited for it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's fair. Yeah, it's fair. It's just at least you tried it and now you know. But, you know, my time in Iraq and stuff has really allowed me to use that experience and stuff for this company. I mean, infantry dude, several deployments you know the first one is pretty well known you know what's funny though is uh so my first deployment we were told as soon as we got to our fob and so we drove from kuwait to baghdad in humvees in a big long beverly hillbilly style <laughs> humvees just packed full of stuff with no tops yeah yeah, yeah if you're not 40 or older you probably don't know who the beverly, beverly hillbillies are oh yeah <laughs> And our first day we get there, you know, the unit was that's in that fob was still there. And then we had this big battalion formation and our sergeant major says, oh, this is the safest place in Iraq. The company or the uh, unit that's leaving has never been in a firefight. We're going to hear helping the Iraqi people of Sadr City. Like, oh, awesome. Yeah, easy. Let's help some people. You know, whatever that looks like. And our first mission out was escorting. This is how bad this section of Baghdad is. So, Sadr City is, uh, I want to say, 20 square blocks. And there's like 2 million people in it. Like, it's just overcrowded. There's no sewage system. So, all their sewage and stuff gets run into the street. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got... When we drove up to it, we were still probably two miles away, and you can smell it. Ugh. Like I, like a lot of us puked just from smelling it from two miles away. It was that bad. And so our first mission was to escort this big truck. It's got a big vacuum and a big tank sucking sewage out of the street. And we escort it outside the town where they dump it in this field. Well, this truck driver, someone comes up to him, and then... He gets in his truck and just drives off without us. We're like chasing him. Like, where are you going, dude? <laughs> right. And we passed this one building and there's thousands of people out there right beside the road, like just doing the cutthroat sign, you know, 
um, yelling, screaming, and the Humvee I was in didn't have a top. It had like canvas doors, and then there was no top, just the roll bar. And I'm up there standing in between the two back seats because I was the gunner. Young sergeant, like newly promoted right before we deployed, probably seven months before we deployed, I was promoted to sergeant. And you hear like a gunshot, like just one or two. And I was like, hey, you guys hear that? They're like, no. I was like, man, I could. And it sounds like gunfire, but it was just, you know, a, a few. And then probably 10 seconds later, you just hear from every direction. Well, it seemed like every direction. Right. You know, when you can only imagine. I've never experienced actually being shot at before, you know, Uh, because in Kuwait, you know, before we drove up, it was, oh, you know, some people are like, you know, we're getting to a firefight. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, we got tons of Rambo people here. And I'm sitting here going, man, I have no clue what I'm going to do because I've never experienced it before. And when the big heavy fire came, uh, like I literally froze what felt like forever. Uh, my driver said it was like five seconds or whatever, but I was like, and just didn't move, just standing up. And I had a 240 Bravo up on top, just kind of mounted on top the roll bar. <laughs> There's nowhere else to put it. Right. You know? and my driver grabs my pant leg. Sorry, Bellamy. I'm like, what? He goes, shoot i'm like at what yeah because my mind isn't processing anything that i'm seeing it's like if you see a spot on the wall and you shook your head real fast you're not going to see that spot on the wall yeah i mean you just can't focus enough that's what it felt like what i was seeing and i might have been just turning my head in all different directions and uh end up getting my bearings a little bit started seeing things that are actually happening you know there's a vehicle driving right for us and I'm no idea if it was full of bad guys or if they were just people that I didn't even know that you know that stuff was happening on that street but after experiencing that several times you know throughout the deployment if they're there they know <laughs> if they're in the area they know because people will just disappear in a busy market just like that. Like right. they'd just be gone because they know something's about to happen. So for them to be there, I think they were had bad intentions. So I just started firing on this big, this van is basically like a 15 passenger van. See it like swerve and crash. People start getting out and just like, bah, 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 bah. Um, our lead Humvee kept going by itself because our vehicle got shot up so bad. And the one, uh, behind me got sh- shot up so bad that they weren't moving anymore. And uh, National Geographic Channel did a show miniseries called The Long Road Home about this specific event. Uh, so basically it just covers this one day in eight episodes that are an hour long each. Well, actually one of them is two hours, I think. And, you know, it was, it was just really interesting of seeing how people perform. You know, my squad leader at the time, um, during that first bit of inter- uh, taking on fire, a round hit his rifle and a piece of his rifle hit his finger and broke his finger. I didn't know the whole time I'm like laying down rounds that he was just sitting in the seat, froze the whole time. And then 
I'm laying down rounds and then I had to change the belt of ammo out. So I like open the feed tray cover and then that's when I look and I'm like, there's nobody around me. Where is everybody? Yeah. You know, everybody that was in my vehicle was out. The vehicle that was in lead kept going for some reason, but then I started seeing them come back and I look behind me and you just see all these faces pressed up against glass from everyone packed in this one Humvee that could. And I was like, oh man, let me in. You yeah. know, I jumped down, I run over to the, uh, to the Humvee and I'm like, let me in. <laughs> yeah. Dude rolls down the window and uh, it was one of my best friends in the world, Eric Berkwin. And he's one of the main characters in the show. Yep. I skydive with him and stuff now and stuff. is, you know, just a super cool guy. And he like rolls down the window because in the hum, up armored Humvee window, it doesn't roll down like this. You got to unclip it and it comes straight down. He opens up to where it's like two inches open. He's like, Bellamy, where's your weapon? I was like, Doc's got my 16 because at the time, this is before M4s. Well, the LTs had M4s, the lieutenants. Everybody else had the long rifle, or M16. And I'm like, Doc's got it. He goes, no, you're 240. And I look back. I left it on top of the freaking roll bar. Yeah. And that Humvee looked like it was like 300 meters away. Oh, Like sure. it looked so far away, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I turn around. I run. I go get it. I grab another box of ammo. And I look in the back of the Humvee. And there's an AT4, which is an anti-tank personal fired to defeat tanks, you know, big tube. I didn't have the hands for it. I left it there. So once I grabbed it, I hopped down off the Humvee and I look around. Like, Where'd they go? The Humvee was no longer there. And oh, I look man. over. They're pulling in this other alleyway. So I'm like running with all this, you know, ammo and the 240 that's got a belt on it now. And I'm trying to run into this alley with them. I step on the belt of ammo. Oh, God. And I face plant <laughs> right before the, the alleyway. Oh. And I get back up. And uh, I don't want to ruin the show, but it doesn't show that part anyway. It shows the Humvees going down and stuff, yeah. and us trying to figure out where to go. So you'll you'll notice a difference if you if you know your listeners do end up watching it. You know they're not going to see this part. You do know it's me because the dude's standing up on a broken Humvee firing. So once you see that scene, you're like, oh, that's Bellamy. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I've I've definitely started the show. It it's a pretty interesting story. You know, I mean. You're not going to it because it's an Oscar nominated movie production. Like it's a mm. docu series on a cable channel. Yeah, they uh, call it a, a docu drama. They did get some really great actors, you know, in there. I mean, for sure, Sarah Wayne Callies from The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. My wife immediately recognized her. So I took on the LA premiere. I'm on the red carpet. Well, it's Nat Geo, so it's a gold carpet. We did. It. She's like, "Oh, hey, Justin," blah blah, because they came. You know, while they were filming, they filmed on Fort Hood. And I've been on set several times, you know, walking the set and stuff. I took pictures with the guy who plays me. Uh, I took pictures with the guy who plays my company commander, Jason Ritter, John Ritter's son. Yep. Super cool, chill guy. I made him really uncomfortable. <laughs> kind of told you about, a little bit about that on yeah. the phone. In infantry land, it's like the more, and you know, I hope no one takes this the wrong way. No one hears saying anything about gay people or anything like that sure it's you know usually if you're not gay you don't want those things done to you well i was doing stuff to aim at for fun 
hugging, putting my leg around him and stuff like that, doing, you know, duck lip photos with making it look like I'm kissing him and stuff. The look on his face in this photo is priceless. That's amazing. He was so uncomfortable. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, just having these experiences with these big name actors, you know, uh, was really cool. So there's a photo of me and Sarah on the gold carpet where she was like, oh, hey, Justin. And she like grabs my suit collar jacket or the uh, lapels of him like, oh, you look nice. And my wife's like, is she hitting on you in that photo? Yeah. <laughs> look, like, you, no, I'm pretty sure no. <laughs> you got to get revenge for my boy Rick Grimes, you know, <laughs> and you got to take care of her because yeah. Shane was yeah, out of line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was, uh, I was like, what? You know, because I didn't start watching Walking Dead till maybe two years ago. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I was a huge fan, and then it definitely fell off for me. Yeah, I think it's still going, is it not? I, I'm not sure. My wife could tell you I stopped watching mm-hmm. when they, I think it was like season six or something like that, where, um, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody else who hasn't seen this by now, but basically a really bad character that did a lot of things that really pissed me off for the whole show. <laughs> it's still alive. And I said, I'm done. How is this? How is this possible? Yeah, this dude I'm should done. have been dead a long time ago. So yeah, no, that's I when I stopped watching. Uh, Fear of the Walking Dead was good for a couple of seasons. And then it just kind of that's faded what I think out for me still too. going. Yeah. But they did a good, like, for the set, they were like, okay, is this good? You're like, no, you need way more trash. And you need a lot more telephone lines going from building to building. They're like looking at, how do we put more? I'm like, yeah, double that. Yeah. It's like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's third world country. I mean, you just got all these telephone wires just randomly going to the buildings across streets and stuff like that. I was like, you need a lot more. So the the set looked super legit, man. Like where it gave me goosebumps when I was walking on set yeah. after they filmed like one of the, the battles, uh, one of the firefights where there was like stuff lit on fire. Like those people that built that set just was amazing. Amazing. And, uh, but you know, there are some parts that were Hollywooded because they have to do character building and stuff like that. So when they called me and asked to use my name, so a good friend of ours, her name's Martha Raditz. She originally wrote the book, The Long Road Home. She's an ABC news correspondent. She She covers a lot of Overseas conflicts is basically her main thing for okay. ABC News. She's also been a presidential moderator during presidential debates and stuff. Presidential moderator, it's probably not the right <laughs> word. But a moderator, moderator during yeah. presidential debates. Pretty liberal. And I would say about 80% of service members are more conservative leaning. So it's it was, I don't want to say strange, but it was different to see someone that had more of a liberal mindset be so pro soldier or pro military. I don't want to soldiers army only really. So uh, I want to say pro service members and she just loves us. She comes to our reunions. You know, lately I've been having to go to DC quite a bit for some, another group business. I'm uh, co-founder and executive vice president of and you know, I let her know, Hey, I'm coming to DC. Sometimes we'll meet up. Sometimes timing doesn't work. But so she ended up writing the book to where National Geographic Channel bought the rights to it. And, then, um, you know, just having that relationship as well has been really awesome because you get to see 
someone that has no military experience whatsoever be so involved in what you've done. Like, it's really cool. Yeah, that, that whole Long Road Home experience was really nice. And National Geographic Channel, when it was all filming was done and everything, they sent us the uniforms that our characters wore during the, the filming and stuff. And they got all packaged, all nice and everything. Being introduced to a lot of the actors, like, oh, you're the real Bellamy? I'm like, yeah. You're an actor that's playing me? This is cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm Bellamy. They're like, wow, this is so cool. I'm meeting you right now. And I'm like, no, it's cool. I'm meeting you. Right. And you've been on, like, this guy that plays the battalion commander, or Valeski, which is really cool. Val- Valeski's the one that got a bunch of heat recently for tweeting uh, Jill Biden. It's good to see you know what a woman is now. Oh, that was God. him. Okay. That, was my, that was my battalion commander on this a... tour. Wow. So that's the same guy. He retired as a three-star. A guy named uh, Michael, gosh, his last name is escaping me, well, plays Valeski. And he's been in tons of movies, tons of TV shows. And he's sitting there looking at me going, man, I can't believe I'm meeting you. I'm like, I can't believe I'm meeting you. Yeah, you know? that'd be amazing. So for them to be ju- in, in as much all, if not more, to meet us, right? Uh, was a really cool feeling, man. It was really cool. Nothing any of us has tried to monetize or anything, but you know, there's. It could have been anyone's story. We're not the only people or unit in that got deployed to Iraq that's been in a firefight, right? You know, we're definitely not. We just happened to be the ones at the time that Martha was there, and it happened. You know, so this literally could be a lot of other service member story. So it's not that we're more badass than anyone else. I will say though about this particular unit that we rose to the occasion. We operated in ways that you would normally see like more of a Ranger battalion operate when they're in contact and stuff like that. Now, Ranger battalions don't go out there and draw fire like we had to half the time. <laughs> you know, presence patrol is what we called it. But really, we just went out there drawing fire to get bad guys to come shoot at you, and you just shoot them first. So if uh, anybody here wants to uh, go check out that show, man, it's uh, not 100%, obviously, uh, but you get a good grasp of things that myself and my platoon mates went through and what who my heroes are are the guys that got on LMTV trucks, uncovered trucks. Yeah. Like, just, ugh, goosebumps. Yeah. I mean, and they talk about that a little bit on the show. Yeah. Um, where it's like, we don't have the armament that we need. And that's kind of where I'm at with season or episode, uh, the end of episode two, beginning of episode three of those guys suiting up. And, you know, they show them like welding stuff on. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, we're, we're trying to make it work here. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we even had a cook. That ran out of the DFAC. Well, we probably don't have all military listeners. So DFAC is your dining facility, which was a tent. Yeah. One of the cooks ran out of there and got on a truck, grabbed a rifle and got on a truck to come get us because we were stuck. Yeah. Two Humvees down, the other two Humvees, flat tires, one going anywhere, especially with 17 of us. You know, there's no way to fit 17. And what you won't see on the show is how we exfilled or got out of there exactly. So us that got injured during that time in the alley and on top of those buildings end up having to get on top of a Abrams tank. So I literally rode from the middle of all the fire and hell all the way 
out of the city to our FOB or forward operating base on top of a tank. And you hear just ting, 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 yeah. ting, 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 just bullets hitting the tank. And you're like, God, I have nowhere to go. I'm just exposed on top of this tank turret. My LT lieutenant, he was on, on top of the tank turret too. He was like in the prone facing the same direction as the tank main gun. Like, like he was pulling security or something. I was like, dude, it's freaking dark out. You can't see anything. I don't know what he's doing, but whatever. Right. Yeah. And then Hayhurst was on top of there and also chin. But when you watch the show, you'll understand that. Yeah. Yeah. How and why. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a good show. <laughs> knowing, knowing that obviously, what you see on television is performance, but I'm not there for how great the performance is or isn't. I'm there for the story that's behind it, especially now having you on the show and being able to, you know, hear some of that. I mean, thank you for sharing all of that information. Like I know they made a TV show about it, but it's still very personal information for you to open up about, about something that I know some of us take things better than others, but it's absolutely something you still think about to this day. Still gives you goosebumps, still has an emotional reaction. It's hard to share that stuff sometimes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, mean, people with like legit PTSD, I mean, I don't think he would mind. I mean, he's, so there's a group of us, basically there's seven of us that still talk to this day. We have our own signal chat thread. We're always talking every day. Every one of us were in, in this platoon. So that was Almost 20 years ago. Oh, yeah, almost 20 years ago. Yeah, close. Uh, 18 years ago. And uh, we are just as tight today. Now, I've served in different units. I've been deployed with other units and really don't talk to any of them. Uh, right. Because this was so unique. Like my last deployment, I didn't even fire the weapon. I barely remember my soldier's name, to be honest with you, you know, on my, in my platoon. But there wasn't a whole lot going on. But, you know, that. This I'm just trying to say this experience was just super unique, right? Sure. And I know Hayhurst, um, the Arnold Schwarzenegger kid, uh, his son plays him in the show, and he got shot in the shoulder during that first uh, uh, when we took on fire. He got medevaced after we finally got back to the fob. And after he healed up, he was like, I want to be back with my, my platoon mates. He came back. I don't know if I could do, say the same thing after getting shot, man. Yeah. I really don't. Like, I hope I never... Well, I'm retired now, so <laughs> it's going to be no. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but he decided to come back. And he tried to come out with us. And it just did, it was just too much for him, you know, to handle, you know. And I totally... Like, I don't understand it because I've never been in his shoes, but I definitely respect the crap out of him for even attempting. Right. He stayed the rest of the deployment. He was given work to do that was important. He just didn't go out on these missions with us anymore, um, which is fine. I mean, there's nothing more that man can do in my eyes to prove his freaking bravery his integrity and his commitment to us yeah it's uh nothing more and the problem with that is is he's create this high bar 
you know. So when I retired from the military, I thought everyone was like that. Yeah. And you get out here and you're just a bunch of civilian turds that don't care about anybody but themselves. 100%. You know, and I didn't understand. I struggled the most with that when I retired because I was used to people like Hayhurst yeah. and Berkwin, uh, Josh York. Josh York actually invested in TAC 11 and it's because he believed in well, our history together, which we both were two different people back then. I mean, you got two dudes that used to put Kim Light juice on their junk and at night ops <laughs> and stuff, you know. Now he's about to retire at being a major with a job uh, commitment from a company that's going to pay him $280,000 a year. And then you got me in the same boat where we the same type of shenanigans, you right. know. <laughs> Owning a company like TAC-11, starting a company like TAC-11. So, he he actually invested a lot of money for a person, I would say, an individual uh, to invest and ask no questions. Ask, when are you going to pay me back? Or anything like that. You know, nothing replaces uh, relationships like that, man. Yeah. So, kind of got off on the show part oh but, that's uh, good though man it's it's nice to see where you come from and why it means so much to you yeah because yeah. obviously armor plays a huge role in everything that y'all do yeah because you're you're in essence you're protecting lives you yeah. know i'm not serving in a military capacity anymore and i think that's one thing it took me a long time to figure it out too was why do i feel this way and unfulfilled in certain areas i don't want to say completely because i think uh, you know, individuals believe what they want to. I think, uh, you know, I know that faith in my life makes a huge difference in in that internal fulfillment uh, area, right? Uh, but on a professional level, I couldn't figure out why I wasn't. You know, why am I not doing something I love? Well, I didn't know what I loved. Like, you know, you're in the military, 90% of the time you're complaining about it. When you get out, you're like, man, Civilian life sucks, yeah. you know? So where do I fit here? And what I figured out is, is I was serving, literally serving in the military, even though it doesn't feel like it. You call it going to work, just yeah. like anywhere else. But you are serving. And that's what I was missing. I wasn't serving anyone by selling cars. I wasn't serving anyone by being a project manager. You feel a lack of purpose. Purpose. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. I think, you know, because you came to us from another network mm -hmm. type thing of of knowing Anthony with Fly Through It. He was a guest previously on our show. Yeah. And we, we spoke a little bit about that, of like not calling first responders and military dogs by any means, mm -hmm. but we are like certain dog breeds where we want to have a task to complete for a mm -hmm. reason. And if we don't have that job, then we get bored and that's when we become unproductive because we have to have that task to fulfill. Yeah. And some people come self-destructive. Sure. Without it too. Absolutely. So with armor and tactical gear. That fulfills that part for me. That's right. my, you know, that, that purpose becomes complete because I know this stuff works. I'm, I'm, I say I'm, we are making stuff with specs unheard of, or at least very rare and, uh, different sciences that none of the big guys are even using. 
the new plate carrier weighs 12 ounces. I mean, the next lightest thing to that is about a pound and a half. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been exposed to some of this gear. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's what you always think of as hot, heavy, sweaty. Yeah. Yeah. Nasty. And just by having the gear out there on people, like they may never get hit with a round. I hope not. Like I hope anyone that buys TAC 11 stuff, product, I hope and pray that at some point when you're looking at it, you look at it and go, man, that was a waste of money because no one's shot at you. Right. You've never had to take a round. Like that sounds stupid as the owner of the company to say, like, I hope you think you wasted your money, but seriously, I'd rather you live and not have to face something like that. Like it may not be Iraq, you know, it might not be a firefight like, you know, what me and my guys have been in and, and a lot of other military people. But still, when you have a flying bullet coming towards you, it might as well be. Right. You know what I mean? Like someone's trying to kill you. That's the most combat you know. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. So I hope that our customers and clients never even experience that. That's why I say it that way. Because what happens when you spend money on something and never use it? You say, oh, I wasted money. Yeah, but if you needed it, yeah, you, have you know it. it wasn't a waste. Yeah. But thank God you didn't need to yeah, use it. Yeah, exactly. For so that's you know kind of my personal uh, how I internalize what we do and the purpose of of what I do specifically. Right. Um, on the larger scale, what I've come up with is a mentality called "Every Last One." It's not a slogan. Uh, we're actually playing with another kind of tagline. Because of what we do, a lot of our stuff's so unique, what we're thinking about doing, and this is kind of a not completely solidified yet, but basically TAC 11 and then have uh, be known as defense artisans. Mm, so that yeah. might be our tagline coming up. I like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the every last one mentality is basically putting our efforts into helping departments get world-class protection despite their uh, budgetary limitations because they are limited to budgets. I recently lost a solicitation to a company that made money on that. I actually got called by their SWAT commander and said, Hey, we're going with your stuff. Well, two weeks before that, their procurement person called me and said, Hey, your bid is twice as much as this other company. And I said, Okay. She's like, what do you mean, okay? I'm like, okay. Right. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Sounds about right. Yeah. 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 And she's like, well, why? I was like, well, if what I'm bidding for the plate itself is what I'm bidding, and you're saying they're bidding half, how are they making money on $200? I was like, my materials alone cost more than that to make this plate. So if they're making money on selling it for $200, and I've already discounted it $180. I'm making almost nothing. I just want to get it in hands. And that's what I, the, every last one is. Is I know you're um, held by your budgets. Here's what we're going to do to help with your budget. That way you can have world-class gear and everyone, no one's left out. She's like, well, why can they do it then? I was like, because it's just rebranded Chinese stuff. Right. I've seen it done a different product. 85%, maybe even 90% of... Arm, uh, 
air quotes armor companies are just rebranding someone else's stuff or shipping it in from China and, and become a marketing company is basically what they get. Right. Since they become a They're just selling company. that selling. same product everyone else has. Yeah. Yeah. So TAC11.com, TAC11.com. Yep. I can see your ambassador program, your dealers. I can see uh, your distributors, yep. um, how to become a distributor, become an ambassador. I can see your catalog. Yep. Purchase mm-hmm. from the website as well? Yep. Awesome. Uh, we actually use another, uh, we've partnered with a company called Sezzle. Basically gives the customer four interest-free payments. Yep. So to make it a little bit easier. If you've never used Sezzle before, they limit new users to about $300. Some of it at least. Yeah. Do some of it or make a small purchase just to have one on record. Then they'll, from what they tell me anyway, um, is they'll raise the limit the more you use it. Gotcha. So. Social media, you are on Instagram. Social, yeah, Instagram. Uh, we're going to be starting more of a push on IG coming up because our catalog is more solidified. Gotcha. Um but that one, I've been trying to reach out to the person that owns TAC11 or at TAC11. So TAC, T-A-C-1-1. Uh, it's an unused account. Right. Yeah. And I was like, what do you want for it? And they wouldn't even respond. So tried to write Instagram like, hey, this account's not even active. Right. Can we get it? Yeah. And IG is not really doing anything about it. So it's at tac.11 you gotta spell out 11 gotcha. so at t-a-c dot e-l-e-v-e-n makes sense yeah well i mean once again man thank you for coming on the show Absolutely. getting super down personal yeah. like i felt like the there's no more oxygen the in the room I know, after having me man, man i <laughs> talked a, a lot what a great story what great qualifications for the company uh, the company sounds awesome. It looks awesome from what I've seen. Yeah. So thank you well, for coming on and sharing that. Let me mention one other thing before we go about TAC11. Um, so my business partner is uh, the one who designed the new carrier, and he's a special operations guy. Um, I've known him probably for the past four years, and he's just now recently become partner. He designed the new plate carrier. We call it the Noontime. Uh, the reason why is because that was his nickname in special operations group. And uh, what a super good dude this guy is, man. I mean, I can't do half the stuff that I'm doing without this guy, man. And, and so I just really wanted to plug him on there because yeah. it's not just me. You know, there's a team effort here. Sure. You know, we make a team effort to, to do the right thing. And we're all in the same line of thinking and with all the same goals. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thanks for the invite, brother. Man, it's been great. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Beef Podcast. Another worthy company of your support. So please go out there, like them on Instagram, follow the content they're going to start pushing out, check out his website, refer them to anybody you know that's going to need this kind of stuff. And if you got that history and you want to sign up as an ambassador, man, I'm sure they'd love to speak with you and get you signed up. So again, just thank you for tuning in every single week and supporting awesome companies with a story like this. Check out the Nat Geo Docu series, mini series on what's going on <laughs> over there with some of these uh, attacks that we've had. And like I said, man, just thank you for tuning in. That's another week, another episode. We'll see you next Thursday. And as always, stay beefy, my friends. You've been listening to the beef. 
Thanks for listening. Make sure to like, rate, and review. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information that you can use. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, follow us on social media. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. Would you like your business featured on the beef? Know a business that should be featured? Visit beefymarketing.com slash the beef. Remember, branding is about a connection with you and your people. Till next time, thanks for listening to The Beef.